Welcome along to another episode of the Make Life Work podcast with me, Cy Jobling. This podcast is all about speaking to others about trying to find a balance between work, life and any side project we find the time for. From sharing their stories, we hope it helps others find their own balance and maybe enjoy some of the things we talk about along the way. This week, I've invited along old friend Franka Hood a clinical hypnotherapist from Derby, UK. Franca doesn't necessarily work in tech, but I'm fascinated by what she does, and there are many synergies in her line of work that overlap with tech. I've known Franca since the early days of Twitter, when we shared a mutual interest for our favorite football club, Derby County, which we then used to build and grow a fan-based community. Since then, the account has grown to a strong 13,000 following, mostly thanks to Franca's efforts of maintaining match day engagements with some fellow supporters. But we'll talk about all that later. Let's get into it. Welcome along, Franca. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on board. As we were talking about prior to recording, you know, we've known each other over 10 years. This is the first time we've actually visually seen each other, spoken to each other verbally. I know, I know. And I think that is very much the way of the world. the world is so small with, with the internet being what it is that we know lots and lots of people than more more than more than we think we know. You know, we know all these people that we don't actually know, is what I'm saying, I think. Yeah. It's very bizarre. And I think what we'll talk about later on is with our, one of our side projects that we do together, that there is this sort of small world, but we don't Absolutely. really know each other that well. And hopefully these sort of conversations help bring those boundaries down. But yeah, it's wonderful to go, have you on board. Thanks for joining me. Um, and hopefully people will understand and learn a bit more about how you work and sort of things you do, because it's, it's not specifically tech related, but you certainly are familiar with tech and technology absolutely and i do use tech more and more every day now with work yeah it's well so should we get into that do you want to tell us what it exactly is that you do uh, and how you got into it yeah sure um i'm a clinical hypnotherapist is my title sounds very smart it's it's super interesting i don't know about smart um and the way that i got into it i i literally stumbled into it um i grew up believing that I would go down some route of academia um, and then realised that I, I didn't, I don't think I was very good at that. Um, but I tried, I tried hard and I went off working for various, uh, various companies, various industries. Um, I worked for Toyota for 10 years and that was what I thought would um, would be my path. I was in production management. I thought that would, you know, that would be my thing. But I was never, I was never sort of quite happy. I was never fulfilled. Whilst it was, it was okay and I was quite good at it because it was very structured, very organised, you know, and that's me, Mrs. Spreadsheet. Um, mm. And so for that, it it suited me a lot, but still I wasn't fulfilled. You know, I knew that I'd got much more to give, but seemingly it wasn't in in the world of industry or academia. And then I developed a a liking for crystals and things, bizarrely. Uh, And I wanted to learn more about the rocks. I wanted to learn more about the crystals, went along on a... um, crystal healing course and the very last thing that I wanted to do was become a crystal healer because you have to you have to touch people and so on and I wasn't into any of that whatsoever so 
Uh, but I went along because I wanted to learn about the crystals. And it was through that that I learned about hypnosis. Uh, and our crystal teacher mentioned a book. And as she was talking about this book, I thought, I've got that. And somebody had given me that book several years before. I had tried to read it and just couldn't get into it. Um, and I thought, I need to read that book. And it's so interesting because they say if people give you books randomly, they are the absolute books that you need to read. Um, and after not reading this book and then hearing and thinking, I've got that book, I went home and literally read it cover to cover and became so engrossed. And it was about um, life between lives hypnosis. So this depends on your belief systems. But the theory behind it is that this is just a um, physical experience that we're all in now. And in between in our lives, it, it, the theory is that we come back to Earth lots of times. And in between is when we make all our plans. So when we're up there in spirit, and I apologise now if this is going way more hocus pocus than you'd expected. But, <laughs> but the, the theory behind this book is that we plan our lives when we're up in spirit. We plan what we're going to do down here. There are certain spirits that we have several lifetimes with. They are usually the people that we learn the hardest lessons from, the people that hurt us, the people that cause us pain, because we grow and we learn through these things. And the whole idea of that fascinated me so much okay. that I dived into the, the books about it, uh, because that's me all over. If I want to know anything, I will go and research it to the nth degree. And I went off and read all of this, and I thought, this is what I need to do. Crikey, O'Reilly, this is for me. And then I went into that, went and did some training, loved it, was ticking along, doing several training courses, still going to work. And then we started to, to do the case studies. And I was lucky enough to have a case study um, that was a professional footballer. And this person had... Uh, he'd got this injury and I did some work with him and the case studies I'd had up until him had gone really really well I then had this one and it literally fell off a cliff for me it didn't go in the way that I'd expected it and what I found was it was because his his belief system was was slightly different which is okay but I thought actually I'm narrowing my field down. I, I can only treat the people that have the belief in the life between lives thing. And what I actually want to do, and so where I thought this was a failure, actually it was a massive lesson for me. What I want to do is treat people with everyday issues, issues people have got today. Uh, yes, physical injuries, and I do do quite a bit of that, but also on the mental and emotional side. So I want to help people that are dealing with, and I didn't know this at the time, but dealing with anxiety, depression, trauma, you know, some really difficult subjects. And what I realized when I treated that fella was that I was on the wrong path. So that was good. So what I learned from him, and he was on his own path, of course he was, you know, but what I learned there was you are on the wrong path. So I jumped off the Life Between Lives course and went up down the clinical hypnosis route and continued there and um, went off and, and got my diploma and so on. 
so yeah that's what brought them through to being able to help people with with the issues that many many people face now i think you're right though the, the problem we do have now a lot of people are more aware of these sort of issues anxiety depression and all the yeah. these, these things you're trying to help with and it's fantastic that you enjoy this this is the passion it's not just something that you kind of go i guess i can do it it's, it's something you identified yourself while you were working in toyota i mean i know toyota is one of the local factories to you so uh, it's up there with rolls royce right it's one of the other in derby <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and to be honest, I was in automotive engineering for a while. And then as I was completing my training, because uh, I, I, in between leaving Toyota and, and doing this, actually, I had a couple of babies. But uh, then in order to get the money to finish my training, I then went to work for Rolls-Royce. So I was in automotive uh, engineering for a while. Then I went into um, aerospace for a while. Yeah. So how long ago was it? Are we talking with this then? Because obviously Toyota is since like mid nineties, I guess, wasn't it when they were around? Exactly. Toyota is is um, is a long while ago. I joined there in ninety six and was there right. until two thousand and six. My time there was absolutely fantastic. It's, it was a brilliant place. I met some brilliant people, friends for life, etc. Mm. Um, when I left there, the reason that I left is because uh, my eldest was going to start school. And I wanted to do the school run. So I was very blessed that we had a nursery on site at Toyota where he would go for three days a week. Mm. And when it came to him starting school, for me to continue doing my 20 hours, I would have had to have gone in five days a week. And I, I didn't want to do that. So uh, I took the, I left Toyota, took them both out of there, put one in the nursery local to me for a couple of days. And of course, the big one went started school. Mm. So then I ticked along and actually started another business. I started an online gift business, which, right. if anything, is going to teach you about failure. It was that. Oh, good topic. Oh, that was so difficult. And that was, it's probably around the start of that when, when I met you, um, because I had come out of Toyota, I was going into doing that. Mm. And... What I did, I mean, starting a luxury gift business at what was actually the beginning of a recession mm. talks about how sensible it was for a start. But because I have so much drive and ambition to succeed, I would not let this thing go. And I carried on and on. It was making me incredibly unhappy. And eventually I realized that the failure was hanging on to it. Right. And so I said, this has got to go. I've got to stop doing it. So I then stopped doing it. And it's funny because one door sometimes has to close for another one to open. Yeah. In order for another one to open for me, I, I went through a weird, a weird thing that some people call spiritual awakening, some people call midlife crisis, some people call nervous breakdown. Right. I, I went through a time of... of tremendous emotional pain um wow. i know which which made me address a few things and it made me address the fact that i had gone through a terrible trauma in in delivering my first baby and it made me face up to that i was still carrying a lot of that and it made me realize that i was very very angry and i was literally angry at everything i i don't feel that i was being the best mom I 
wasn't being the best to the people around me, I don't think. And it's because I was in so much emotional pain. And of course, I didn't realise that at the time. I was just reacting to it. Mm. Uh, But what happened is that I kind of crashed through this emotional situation and just a light bulb came on. Although that says that it sort of brought light. It, It didn't. It brought immense darkness. Basically, this thing happened to me where I realised I was I was being way too angry and I needed the only person that could deal with that was me. And I had to dig very, very deep and work out what I was being angry and unhappy about. And I had to do a lot of, of forgiving. Um, I, I used to have, I, I come from an Italian background and with an Italian mum, the, um, the relationship between us was, there was quite a lot of friction because she was very controlling and so on and so forth. Anyway, I learned, I think through this light bulb moment that I had, that actually she was doing the best for me that she could. And what I wasn't fully aware of was how much mental illness was going on there. So so my mum comes from a place of real real mental frailty. And suddenly I realised, and I got it, and I thought, oh, crikey, yeah, I see She's doing the best she can with the tools that she's got. And I needed more. She couldn't give it to me. And I felt angry about that. And it literally dissolved it in a second. I remember exactly where I was. And it dissolved it in a moment. And I went round to a house. And I can remember. I walked in. And I said, Mum, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. And she looked at me and she went, what are you sorry for? And... It's only then did we begin to realise Alzheimer's had kicked in with my mum. And Mm. so the person that I was saying I was sorry to was this this shadow of my mum who had really not, probably not much idea of who I was, but not not loads of grasp about what I was talking about. Anyway, things, things started to change for me after that. So it was at that point that I then went and started the training developed into into a clinical hypnotherapist it's it's a wonderful story to want to be honest to hear not only you know what you went through you had your own motivations you had your own sort of backgrounds and your own mental well-being to look after right Um, but also the history with your family which is part of us I, i know this from my situation i've got a lot of mental health challenges in my family and i think like you 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 eventually realize oh, yes, that is one of the factors in my life. Absolutely. And I've only got certain control over that. It's not, I can't control all these things. These are external factors. But you yeah. used it to your advantage at this point. You, you, you realised and you went, okay, yeah. now I can do something about it. So yeah. at that point, this is when you sort of went, okay, not been fulfilled in my work. I've got my two boys now. I want to be with them more. And I want to pursue this career in you know what you do so that was probably about 10 years now ago now yes exactly exactly that happened my spiritual awakening slash nervous breakdown was i feel 2007 ish wow so you know um then obviously i've i've gone through training grown developed realized that and and interestingly I had trained as a counsellor in the 90s and didn't really know why I did that but it was something I was drawn to so I'd already got that under my belt what I've realized is through the learning I went through with my mum and her situation 
and the learning that I went through through the trauma of childbirth, what both of those things have done is given me a tremendous toolkit. I've, I'm now able to understand and empathise when people go through moments of real difficulty. You know, um, apart from that, I'm not sort of saying, oh, my life's been plain sailing. It's been those two things because we all have difficulties. But what I've noticed is rather than look back and be angry, upset or feel cheated out of my own path up to now, I'm realising that I've learned tremendous things from them. And I truly feel that I had to go through every single moment of, of being to bring me to where I am. Yeah. I love. I do love how you call it spiritual awakening rather than midlife crisis because I, I've been through. I feel like I'm going through some of this right now, but it's absolutely. It's a, a much more positive way of spinning yes. you know, this sort of moment in your life. But it sounds like you've you've enjoyed what you do, and you know it's, you've found your your coming, as it were, and you've continued to go through it as well. How has this year? Because we've obviously been through a pandemic, which has completely changed how people have worked and find a better lifestyle. How have you managed to adjust to? you could continue with your career in this, this you know this, this way yeah well initially of course nobody knew what was going to happen and being quite driven as well I was very determined I've got a practice a very successful practice here in Derby mm. and I was also very determined to go and work in in London I'd always decided I'd always wanted to go and have a practice in Harley Street right. and that did come to fruition for me. That did happen. Um, when I started practicing in London, I was practicing in Mayfair. And then I did I did move to a clinic in Harley Street. And that was um, that was one of those sort of moments of gosh, you know, you've you've achieved everything that you wanted to achieve. But the balance there was that I found home life was was suffering a little bit. Uh, my boys at the time were GCSE and A-level stage, and I felt I needed to be here more for that. So then I started to wrestle with that whole thing. Anyway, then the GCSEs and the A-levels all went absolutely fine and, and really well, and we're now a, a year later. And the big one went off to university, and the little one started his first year of A-levels. And then, of course, the pandemic kicked in. So initially... Obviously, clinics closed, um, so I stopped going to London altogether. And my the clinic in Derby that I was working in, I have two clinics. I have work from home and I work from a clinic. The clinic in Derby also closed its doors, as, of course, everywhere closed their doors. Mm. And so initially, it was everything just shut down. And I used that time at the beginning to double-check everything that I was doing because once again, I was on that path. My emotional compass, which is ridiculously accurate, everybody's emotional compass is ridiculously accurate. When they get a feeling of discombobulation or kind of unease, then the thing to do there is to listen to that. And what we tend to do is we avoid that. We avoid that and we go and numb it with alcohol or prescribed medication or OCD type behaviours but if we actually listen to it it's telling us that some change needs to be made and I was in that stage of state again of something is just not quite right so I used the time to look at a couple of different training courses I was sort of considering diversifying again 
I used it to double check, to dot all the I's and cross all the T's of what I was doing. And with my job, we um, we are continually training. You know, there's always there's this continual self-development. We're always doing it. And I was looking at those areas. Should I be specializing in a different area? You know, and, and so it gave me that opportunity. And then came the whole doing stuff on Zoom thing. I'm very lucky in that I do telephone counselling anyway. So telephone counselling, that's fine. That stayed the same. But people wanted face-to-face. And so I, I developed into the world of Zoom. And so that was good. What I did learn was, and I had to learn really quickly, is that I had to switch on my listening skills a lot better a lot more because what I do I read people I read people's body language and when I can only see someone from the top button a butt up you know I can't see the rest of what their body's doing um so I had to learn really quickly but it was great I found that I did learn quickly I developed into it quickly some people were preferring zoom because it saved them getting in their car and coming over to me some people interestingly weren't preferring it because when they come into my clinic that's their safe place sometimes when they are in the in the the spare bedroom at their home the people that they're needing to discuss are in other rooms in the home and that means that they can't do that so everybody learned what worked for them and you know what what didn't work for them so initially it dipped off then it picked up and then it, it became really busy again because everybody was realizing how the um, lockdown had affected their mental health. Yeah. It's been a really tough year. I think like you say, I've been quite lucky that work has continued for me. Um, You know, before lockdown came in formally, my company said two weeks before, take your kit home. You're going to be starting for work from home. They're owned by Chinese. So they had a head start on how to, you know, handle it all. But, um, you made a really interesting point though about mental well-being and it's something that's been talked a lot this year because it's not natural to be stuck at home or every day all day even if you're not working just to be in your home environment some people prefer it obviously i get it but i think you know the typical home work divide helps our health generally Um, but you've had that extra layer to deal with because obviously like you say if i needed to have a conversation with you now my other half's in the room, potentially, and I need to talk yeah, about them, absolutely. my situation. And not in a bad way, I'm just saying as a by example. So how have you found that? That must be really difficult. Some some clients that you just like, I can't do this, I need to be with you. And others are going, this is amazing, I don't have to travel. You must have found it really weird to split the two types. It has been weird. Um, I've had to make a whole new load of sort of, rules and regulations which you know i'm very much a rules and regulations type person i love structure yeah Um, because now i have to remember how what mode i use to see people so for example i sent somebody an email the other day and i said super i'll send you the zoom link on monday and and look forward to seeing you again then and this lady emailed me back and said what are you talking about zoom we meet on skype you know, and so it's it's literally as, as simple as that. And for me, I've just got it in my mind. I'm seeing this person on video. This is an elderly person or oldish mm. who hasn't got experience of Zoom. And so for her, 
you know, it was a big deal that I that I just made that tiny error. So it is a, it is a bit of, but that's the sort of jokey side of it. But actually, your question. Some people have found that it's been more challenging for them to get the help that they need because mm. their other half is in the other room, or and I mean. It's, it's well documented that cases of domestic violence and so on have increased uh, because people are having to spend more time with their abusers in many sad and difficult cases. Um, but also, you talked about the whole thing of going out to work um, and having that balance. We're all born with an inherent need to connect. And when we're not connecting or when we are connecting in a different way, the part of our brain that craves familiarity starts to twitch a little bit because that part of our brain doesn't like change. That part of our brain likes things to be just so. And so when something changes, something like the environment that we're in, doing our work, it can create mental chaos. Mm. And for some people, that's a challenge. And it's it's very hard because I think a lot of people, even the best people that have got such control in their life or, you know, they, they feel like they're in a good place, it, it can hit you without any expectations and being able yeah. to handle that. I yeah. mean, you, you must see it a lot and I don't really want to go into this too much detail, but you, you talked earlier about having this passion and this natural inclination to what you should be doing and you, you got a toolkit in your background as well from the counselling you did in the 90s as well. So does it help you to see all these sort of people around you, your, your clients, your patients, um, to help your own personal health? If that's a really interesting question. I learn from my clients all the time, which mm. is just great, because it is so much a two-way thing is the work that I do. You know, I, I call myself a clinical hypnotherapist because that is my title, but... What I do is I help stuck people to move forwards. And that has to come from a two-way thing. So there is give and take. And as a therapist, you don't discuss, obviously, your own situation. You don't divulge. My, my clients know as much about me when they leave as they did when they arrived. You know, we, we talked before about um, about Twitter and so on. I have... And I've got quite a strict social media policy, um, but I have an open Twitter profile for the purpose of, A, there's so much information available on the internet these days about people, but B, it's so that people, if they did choose to look at it, can see that I am a human being as well as a therapist. But the people that don't find me via Twitter, and some do, but those that don't, I have it in my policy. I encourage people not to not to follow me because I'm obviously not allowed to engage personally with people. But the reason that I have that that profile is so that people can see that I am a therapist. But you do still that is still at a very superficial level. Yeah. A couple of people have said to me, "Oh, it's okay for you. You know, you're always happy." Well, actually, no, I'm not always happy. Thank you, but I'm not going to go and post it on Twitter. Because that isn't me, and nor is that the face that I choose to portray to the world as a therapist. It's, it's really interesting stuff. Um, I'm, I feel like we could talk about this for a long, long time, but we don't have all that time, unfortunately. Talking about Twitter, though, it's probably a good segue. So back in, I think it was about 2007, 2008, Twitter was sort of taking off. It was a, a new thing. Uh, I was in there. I think you joined about the similar time. Yeah. And we have a shared interest let's say 
in a football club, your your we local do. football club, my heritage, Derby County. Um, what? So let's let's go back a little bit first. What got you into Twitter in the first place? Because obviously, you know, you, you don't work in tech per se, but you understand tech. Well, why did you, what attracted you in the first place? I was on um, a social media conference, which I feel you might have been at. Oh wow! This okay. might be how we know each other. I don't. I don't actually know how we know each other. But I, I went on this social media conference as part of the previous business that I'd got. I don't know how come I went on this thing. Someone from the Chamber of Commerce or someone said, oh, Franka, this will be a good idea. And I went along to it, not really knowing what I was going to. And a fellow from Microsoft was presenting and he spoke about Twitter. And it was at the break I can remember vividly, I was sitting on the end seat on the row. At the break, he came dashing up to go and take his seat or grab his sandwich or whatever, and I caught him. And I went, oi, come and help me with this. And he came and sat beside me and set up this Twitter profile. So that that was literally how it happened. I, I fell into it. Um, yeah, I stumbled into it, like literally just like that. So he yeah. set up this profile. I don't think I did an enormous amount with it in that moment, at that time. I think it was when I first got, which won't be too too long after, when I first got a smartphone. And, of course, I got it on my phone, and that made it so much easier. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I and then I, I kind of just developed into tweeting about the football um, generally. Other people come into your sphere, and so you, you you become part of a bit of a footballing community. And I remember vividly when you messaged me and said, are you interested in contributing to this, this account? Mm. And I remember vividly responding and saying, have you actually looked at my tweets? I don't think, are you sending this to the right person? So my, my thought was you just got the wrong number. Um, but seemingly, seemingly you had got the right person or you were too polite to say and decided that you were in it by then. Um, and that was how come we, we developed the Derby County Twitter account that we've got, the fan-led account. It's, it's been a wonderful journey, though. Like you say, I think both of us, we joined Twitter early days, not knowing what to expect, but saw some potential, let's say. And like you say, we're going back through the years. It's been so long. I'm struggling to remember it. You're better than me. I, I remember your occasional messages about dc i think we would look following the hashtag dcfc maybe and or derby rams or something like that um and i was like oh i like i like your language i think there's a tone that you used as well you you're quite you're very eloquent you you don't do all the lols and omgs and stuff like that um i like they was actually quite professional so i think that was probably maybe why i was drawn to you as well but it's just that passion i was like you know there's got to be something about this and as you say we we started putting comments and posts out on the Derby County account. And it was scary how fast that grew when she started doing those match day commentaries, which I know is a hard job, which we'll talk about in a moment. But my God, we're up to like 13,000 followers now. It's been pretty much around the 12, 13,000 for yeah. years now. And to see so many people get energized and passionate about this stuff, that's what draws me to Twitter personally, is to see the passion as long as you're careful about what you say, just really tap into the positiveness of the community and really bring people together. We've we've questioned it recently, you know, what can we contribute as a community back to those followers? Because, you know, it's a diluted market now. 
but there's still a lot of potential. You know, tell, tell us a bit about what you enjoy about the, doing the Tarby County stuff and where you'd like to take it as well. Because I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'll put you on the spot now, I know this, but I, I lo- I lo- I'm curious to hear what you think about this. So when we first started doing it, of course, for the first season or two, there was only me doing it. So I would try and do it for every match. Um, and then I think I was going on holiday or something. And so I, I asked somebody else if they'd do it. And basically we recruited a couple of, of others and since we've been doing it, there's been about half a dozen people on and off that contribute to it, as you know. And we all do it slightly differently. Some of the guys literally commentate ball by ball. I can't do that because I don't think like that. You know, obviously each to their own, but because that doesn't happen in my headspace, I just wouldn't be able to do it. So what I tend to do is... Um, I tend to, my comments are much fewer and far between on match day. And it's just sort of more conversational and I tend to say what I see. And as we've gone along, we do interact. It's not always easy to interact as a conversation with each with each person that, that comments to us. But what we do is we, we will retweet and like and so on because that then goes out to the rest of the community. So then those folks can start to have, have chatters in between them. We very often get mistaken for the the official account, which is hilarious when it says clearly in the bio that it is a fan account. You know, people people do think that that they they get very passionate about slinging abuse at at the official account, and unfortunately they 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 get us. But the way that it's changed, obviously, is initially we were one of the few accounts doing doing that, us and the official account, and. And we were always sort of quicker and a bit more personable or a bit more, we would interact more. We would obviously reply to fans because that's what we are. But then, and sort of now, you know, everybody's doing it. Clubs have their own, their own, they must employ somebody to do this, I assume. Mm. Lots and lots of accounts are set up just to do exactly that. So where it goes now, I don't know. We... We put out at the beginning of this season, which is crazy because it's only a few weeks ago and, and we're in the middle of a global pandemic. Oh, no. But we weren't sure whether to carry on or not because it is um, it does take quite a lot to do, etc. And we did put it out to the community. And the number of people that came back with such lovely, warm, kind comments, you know, about how much they appreciate what we do, which is so nice. Um, yep. So, so we have carried on, but yeah, I, I would love for someone to come along that has got much more of a, um, perhaps a technical, as in footballing technical mind than I have, and perhaps have a little bit more time to, um, to invest in it. So that, that's sort yeah. of what we're looking for. That's what I'm asking the universe to present me with, is Ooh, good somebody that can just shape it slightly differently so it's not... Um, so, so it's not a carbon copy of so many other things, which actually copied us anyway. But, you know, that's by the by, isn't it? Who did it first? But it was us. We'll claim it. <laughs> yeah, I'd love for it to, for for someone to come and, and get involved and inject some more life into it. That would be good. Yeah, I mean, you, you're touching the point there, you know, it's it's demanding. Um, you've yeah. got many other things going on in your life that, you know, not maybe not as imp- are important, 
but in different ways, right? Because this is your outlet. This is your fun. This is your weekend time. Yeah. Is there anything else you try to do as a as you wind down? Is there anything, any recreational things you try to do to, to complement your lifestyle? Do I am the most boring person that I know. Everyone says that, though. <laughs> I do a lot of yoga. I do a lot of meditation. Um, oh, that was something, actually, that the lockdown did help me with. Um, I had always wanted to present to groups, but I had a block in my mind for some reason. I, I have difficulty with it. Um, I'm the excellent one-to-one, and I love one-to-one but I wanted to, to present to groups. And so I started doing um, a free guided meditation thing on Zoom. Um, and that was quite nice because I would have sort of about 20, 25 people come along to that um, and, and would just have a half hour session and I would deliver this guided meditation. And it felt as though I wasn't presenting to a group when actually I was. So that helped me enormously because much more recently, the, the local health centre have come and asked me to present a meditation class for them. Um, whereas before I would have thought perhaps, oh, I don't know if I could do that. And now I love it. And it's, it's called a lunar healing meditation because I follow the phases of the moon. So, yes, that's what I spend all my spare time doing, watching the moon. Amazing. I mean, um, it's, it's funny again, like lockdown, some people have really relished They've got an opportunity to do something different and it pushed them in a different yeah. way they're not comfortable with. Um, and uh, people fault tech for ruining our minds and all this sort of stuff. But actually, in these modes, when you want to do yoga, meditation, all these other good things for us, it's not that difficult. Our neighbour does the same. She's she's a Zoom medita- you know, yoga instructor. And she said, I've had to adjust, but I'm still with my clients. The important ones are sticking with it. It's not for everyone. I get it. But for yeah. you to then go... I never thought about doing people a group before and now yeah. I've been doing it without even realizing. Absolutely, know? absolutely. I've just floated into it. Yes. Yeah. That's wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. Last one, I guess. I mean, I'm mindful of our time. How do you sort of structure your day or your, your workload and your life balance? Have you got any sort of tips and tricks that you've got for anyone that can help them find a bit of balance in their life, let's yeah. say? And balance is important. Life is a balance, a balance of holding on and letting go. Um, The way that I structure my life, because so much of the work I do is from home, is I have set days and times when I see hypnotherapy clients. Um, And I absolutely stick to those, you know, and if if I have a work telephone as well, a work mobile, which is separate to my personal mobile, and that gets put in the drawer, you know, at whatever time. I, I tend to finish at eight or nine o'clock. But, you know, if people need to text after them, because some people do, if, you know, we all have different schedules. It means that I'm not checking my phone, you know, responding and so on. When I finish work, because I give so much to my work, it does take, it does take quite a lot from me. And it's important that I replenish myself. Um, so I'm very, very structured about my timetable. I have my my days when I do this job. Um, I have a day that's for admin, you know, so it's, and also obviously my boys are, are big, but I'm still first and foremost their mum. That job will always be the first, in, you know, in my priorities. Um, I heard something the other day that said, our main role as a parent is to make ourselves redundant. And oh, that actually nice. upset me because I don't ever want to be redundant, but that is so true. 
because they are getting more and more independent. But my first priority is them. It's an interesting point, actually. I mean, I know you don't work in tech, but my role is similar. You know, I I'm, I work with teams to deliver what they you know, software in different ways, yeah. and it's the same mantra. In the, fundamentally, if I can get them to be self-organised and deliver their own thing, I've done my job. So I'm not yes. longer needed. So yeah. my ultimate goal is to become redundant. It's, it's yeah. an awful way to look at it, but it, to hear it from a parent's perspective, oh, that's a bit of a stab in the heart. <laughs> Well, I was going to say, it, I have to admit, it did prickle me when I heard it. I yeah. thought, oh, ouch, that hurts. Because it questions, you, it makes you question your purpose. And I see a lot of clients that are in this exact situation if they have, for example, retired or lost a job or children have moved out. It comes about when there's been quite a, quite a change. Suddenly, that person is questioning their purpose and that's when our little emotional compass starts to starts to go off uh because what then the questions come about what's it all about you know so i think the really important thing if there is any takeaway from this will always be whatever you're feeling tends to be right so listen to it so for example those feelings that are uncomfortable if we don't listen to them if we try and squash them down or not have them they will bubble up elsewhere and they can bubble up in the shape of anxiety. So it's a case of acknowledging, listening what, listening to what your inner system is telling you because your inner working, we're absolute miracles, you know, that the whole human being thing is a miracle and we don't give ourselves credit for things like self-healing, um, you know, self, self giving ourselves notifications that something isn't quite right. We just thunder on ahead. So, yeah, that would be my takeaway, would be give yourself the time to acknowledge what you're feeling. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And it's something I think everyone should do more of. I'm not brilliant, but I'm definitely getting better at this, is follow yeah. your guts. You know, I've, I've had conversations with my wife recently, you know, if something doesn't feel right, don't do it. If it yeah. feels right, go for it, you know, and having the gall and the confidence to go for it as well because i think that's the other thing people lack at the moment is the the effort the adrenaline to do it it's they're lacking it sometimes especially when we've been yeah. in such a weird lull of life at the yeah. moment yeah. so um loads to pick apart loads to think about franca and i think you know we could probably chat about this for hours on end Absolutely. if anyone want to listen to us <laughs> <You know? laughs> i think we'll probably wrap it up there but I think we're going to have a lot of people want to speak to you. So what's the best way for people to get hold of you and find out what you do and get more support and all that sort of stuff? How should we get hold of you? The best way to get hold of me is at the most fabulous domain that I've ever heard, which is franca.uk. Oh, you've got it. Isn't that just the best? That's brilliant. I'm glad you got it as well. I love it. Yeah. Excellent. So they can email you and contact you through that website. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, like I say, I don't want them to steal your time because it's very precious by the sound of it. And going back to the how you organise your days, I do like that, that you structure your time. I have to. I'm, I'm such a structured being. Yeah, 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 yeah. And structure yeah. is another very important factor. We're going to have to wrap it up, I'm afraid. But um, absolute pleasure to chat to you, Franca. I'm hoping everyone that's been listening has enjoyed it as much as I have. And hopefully you'll probably hear a few, a few listeners as well out on the back of it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Oh, and maybe we'll do it again if we, when we yes. uh, get through all this chaos of lockdown and whatever else. 
we can catch up again and see how things are going. Absolutely. Thanks to Franca for joining me for a chat on this episode of the Make Life Work podcast. We hope you learned a few things about the power of clinical hypnotherapy, how to enjoy growing communities and generally looking after yourself. All the links are in the show notes at makelifeworkpodcast.com along with all the archives and some nice little bonuses for you to enjoy too. Make sure you follow us on all the socials, Make Life Work Pod on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. And if you're enjoying this, please leave us a review in Apple, Amazon or Google Podcasts. We'd love to hear what you think about it. Join me next time when I'll be inviting along another friend from around the tech scene to talk about how they try to find a balance with life, work and side projects on the Make Life Work podcast. Speak then. Thank you.